This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 26 for February 9th, 2006. How the Net Works, part two. Steve, it may seem like I'm here with you, but in fact, I am basking somewhere in the Mexican Riviera. Wow, these satellite uplinks really are good now, aren't they? <laughs> On a geek cruise, Mac Mania 4, reading Fallen Dragon, thanks to you. Ah, yes. But, uh, hey, the podcast must go on. Yep, we'll make it comes, I don't know what that expression Heck is. Heck or wind high or, water. <laughs> wind or rain or sleet or, or snow. snow. Or, I think I did it. Yeah, I or, yeah, or Oosterdam cruise ship. Or, or Mexico, Caribbean. Yes. For Leo. Oh, yes. So uh, we were, at, uh, fascinating last week, we, we were talking about how the internet uh, works. And this is kind of laying the foundation for things we'll be talking about as the podcast continues in, in security terms. But you need to understand uh, things like how routers work and what IP addresses mean and stuff like that to understand well, it's, the it's, rest. If you'll pardon the pun, it's all interconnected. Yes, it is. And so, you know, I've, I've been thinking back about, you know, last week's episode. I'm really glad we took the time to, like, lay that out because there in, what, about 45 minutes or so is really the, the foundation of, of this technology that we're all using without really thinking about it because it just it works so well. You know, it's it's been said that any... Any really effective interface becomes transparent. And, of course, the perfect example is a telephone where, you know, when you're on the phone, you're not thinking about the fact that you're, you know, making sounds into a piece of hardware. Your, your mind is like bridged that gap and you're just thinking to the other person. And so it, it, it works. Or to, uh, to paraphrase Sir Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology appears to be magic. Indistinguishable from magic. Indistinguishable exactly. from magic. Yep. Uh, we, I didn't mention this last time, but if, you know, Steve's talking about the, uh, the technical aspects of this, but if you're interested in the actual history of James Licklider and, uh, and all the people who invented the Internet. Uh, he was the first Vince guy Surf. at MIT, yeah. Yeah. Licklider uh, actually was at ARPA, I think, or DARPA. Uh, and wasn't he, or I can't remember, but he was, uh, somebody was at DARPA who said, look, this is not working. I have a com- two computers on my desk and they don't talk to each other. Right. And so he, uh, he said, guys, you have an assignment, figure out how to get these two things to talk to each other. And of course, Robert Metcalf invented uh, ethernet and, uh, it's just really been amazing, uh, the progress we've made. So there's a great book, uh, talking about all this. Katie Hafner, H A F N E R wrote it. It's called where wizards stay up late and it's, it's light on the technical side you're getting that from steve but if you're interested in the people behind it and the and the and what happened the events have you read that book i haven't i um, have to return it, the favor and send you a copy uh, lick lighter uh was actually at mit, was he at MIT? In, oh, okay. in, in the early 60s and and what he did he wrote the first i mean like literally it was science fiction at the time he called it i love this he called it the galactic network <laughs> That was his term. He understood the scope of it ultimately, and at some time, I guess it will be the galactic network at some yep. point. Yeah. Yep. So uh, last week we uh, we covered kind of uh, the hardware layer. Yes. Well, Would yeah. You call the, it that? The, the, well, it, it, it's like the the lower layer interconnection stuff. You know, in in terms of of strict networking uh, academic approach, the net- networks are are regarded as having layers, where the the like layer one is the electrical the wiring, layer. the yeah. the physical layer. Yeah. Layer two is the 
transport of of sort of like whatever is going to be transported on top of that and then successive layers are sort of encapsulated and they're like higher level abstractions as we go so it's a seven um, layer model as i remember so yeah and and not all seven i mean so, some of them are sort of strange it's like you know <laughs> things that don't really map well onto what the engineers actually right. yeah exactly what the engineers actually implemented but you know you'll you know from time to time in security now i'll talk about layer two or layer three or layer four which are sort of fundamental to what's going on and I'll always explain what i mean by that and in fact um this is a perfect segue into what I want to talk about this week because we we talked about um, IP that is Internet Protocol packets IP version four and version six um, the idea that IP packets all have a source IP and a destination IP and a a time to live and a protocol number which is just a byte so we're sort of we're out of luck if we need more than 255 or 256 protocols but it turns out that you know a lot of them have fallen into disuse they were assigned but never have amounted to much unlike ICMP which is protocol 1 TCP which is 6 and UDP which is 17 that's pretty much it right there <laughs> that's, yeah you know those you those need. are the workhorses although there's you know many other types of protocols like you know we we talked about BGP briefly and there's I mean there's just it's an acronym soup if we, if we got into it mm-hmm. but but the the um, so packets are these fundamental workhorses of the internet um, every internet protocol packet begins with those fundamental bits of data, an, a source IP, a destination IP, that is, you know, who made the packet, where is it going, how long has it been trying to get there, which is that time to live, and what protocol sort of tells the system what the rest of the packet is. Is the rest of this an ICMP packet? Is it a TCP or a UDP packet? Mm-hmm. So, so the the major workhorse protocols, as we've talked about, is is ICMP, which is you know people know it. We we talked about how that is used, for example, in the trace route command, and how that works to allow you to trace the 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 route that packets take from going from from you to some designated uh, remote. And for example, you know, so I, I, an ICMP. Um, time exceeded message is sent back when a packet expires on the internet back to its apparent sender uh, to notify that sender that for whatever reason it didn't get there. Similarly, the ping command is another example of ICMP. Um, that's uh, the ping is sort of a is a human version of the ICMP um, called echo request. And what so what that does is when you when you ping a remote IP, basically you're sending an ICMP echo request packet to that IP. Um, any routers along the way, just forward and on, as long as it hasn't expired yet, when it gets to the router that it's addressed to, or or the computer, the the, the computer, if it's configured normally, will send back and uh, in in response to an echo request, sends an echo reply, which is just a, a a ping reply, and 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 this is used again by network engineers and just you know regular users who who know about this just to see whether the the machine is up at the other end or connected is there a is there a path between me and that other ip so it's sort of another sort of fundamental 
plumbing layer, which is very useful for, for making sure that, you know, the Internet and net networking stuff is working. I, so, I had no idea that ICMP was on the same level as TCP and IP. I mean, UDP. Well, it's, well it, it, it's, it, it's interesting. It's on the same level. But, for example, ICMP doesn't have the notion of ports. Hmm. Ports, it, ports is what we're just about to talk about. And so, for example, ICMP, I'm sorry, TCP and UDP do have this next sort of abstraction of a port number, whereas ICMP, just exactly as you said, Leo, is on the same level as TCP and UDP and the other protocols, but in the case of ICMP, it just deals with IP endpoints and not ports. You know, there's no notion of, like, pinging a certain port at a given IP, just pinging that IP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the case of of TCP and UDP, those are the workhorse protocols that, of course, you know we've talked about often in our earlier episodes of Security Now. Um, it came up all the time when we were talking about um, VPN technologies and, for example, tunneling um, various protocols inside of a TCP connection or a, a UDP connection. Well, let's talk about what UDP and TCP are, how they work, and, and how they're different. Um, basically, just like any IP packet, there's nothing like magic about a, a UDP or a TCP packet except the protocol number that's up in that IP header that tells whoever is sending it and receiving it and, and passing it along the way what type of packet it is. And so, for example, a firewall that is receiving these IP packets would inspect that header and it might be told you know, to drop all UDP traffic because we don't want any in here. <laughs> and so, so it would just look at that. It wouldn't care anything else about the rest of the packet. It would check to see if it was a protocol 17. If so, goodbye. Hmm. Just you know, drop the packet, do nothing further with it. So, so UDP is sort of the the basic payload carrier um, for um, internet traffic. the The UDP packet is it sort of is it's uh, if you visualize the IP packet showing a source IP, destination IP, a time to live, and um, and a protocol number. I ought to also mention that, that there is some error correcting. There's a checksum up in these packets, too, that makes sure that when the packet gets to where it's going, or even um, as, as it's moving across the Internet, that there's been no ch- inadvertent change in the packet's data. Um, so after that, if if this packet says, I'm a type 17, meaning that I'm UDP, then immediately following is a source port and a destination port because as as we said UDP and TCP are port oriented well now the the idea of a port is an abstraction what it really means is that the IP address gets the packet to a given machine let's let's for a minute ignore the complexity of having a NAT router stuck in there because that really does confuse things. <laughs> so imagine that you've got a computer 
on directly connected to the internet and your computer had a so-called a public IP the one that your ISP gave you you know my a, a cable modem for example is 70.181. whatever you know 2.1 so it's an actual public IP the the IP packet that has the destination IP got the packet to your computer your computer then receives it now what it wants to know is of the various applications that is the software applications running in the computer which one of the many ones that may be network aware should receive the packet you know and so there there's a bit of a confusing terminology with servers and services because because um, Unix guys have to talk about servers as being processes running in the system, but it's easy to confuse that with like a physical server machine where you'd have three servers that are that are physical boxes as opposed to three services running in the system. So I'm going to try to say service when that's what I mean. But so for example, the if a packet came into the computer that had a destination port of of 25 well that by by sort of common agreement that's for the SMTP service that is first for sending mail so packets are uh, okay let me start again oops so ports are sort of are, are abstractions for services running in machines if a packet arrived that had a destination port of 25 that would tell the computer that receives it to to send this packet to the SMTP service which is listening for incoming packets on port 25 if if the packet were um, addressed with a destination port of 110 which is for the pop 3 that would the, the the receiving computer would hand that packet to the service which is listening for incoming packets on that port so you know over the years people have have sort of un wondered what these ports are that we're talking about you know they're they're wanting to use like shields up for example at GRC just to scan the ports of their machines to make sure that they're all closed what what ports are as we've seen is is nothing but a 16 bit um, sort of address or abstraction in a a UDP or TCP or potentially another protocol which is port oriented that that tells the packet once it arrives at the machine the IP address gets it to the machine but to, to sort of like further decide within that machine who should receive the packet so there's no so, physical thing it's it's there isn't a actual port correct correct it's not like like you know serial ports one two three and four that's why i think people get confused because there used to be physical ports exactly well exactly because of the notion of 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 sort of like reusing the term port from the traditional use of like a serial or parallel port to this notion of of a 16-bit number and all that really means it's like is, a channel would be maybe a better well, word that's for it. A, that, that'd be a very good designation it's yeah. too bad we didn't call them channels in fact because it'd be i think that's a that, that's a fantastic analogy for it yeah. um so so with with udp um 
it has a source port and a destination port. Uh, the source port just being normally randomly assigned or algorithmically assigned by the computer that's generating UDP traffic and sending it across the Internet aimed at a given destination. So, for example, if your computer wants to look up the IP address associated with Microsoft.com, it uses the it uses the UDP protocol and generates a packet that's aimed at port 53 of your designated DNS server. Hmm. So, so the computer send it, it, it forms a, a DNS query, and by by universal agreement, your DNS server machine will have a DNS service running in it, listening for any incoming. UDP, or actually in the case of DNS, it, it, it works both UDP and TCP, um, li listening in, in this case for any incoming traffic onto that machine's port 53, and that it will then receive the packet, look up the IP address for you of, of wh whoever you've asked for, like Microsoft.com, and then return a, a, a DNS response to your computer so your browser is able to go to Microsoft, knows what the IP address is for Microsoft. So literally, that's all that's going on, is you're, you're saying, my DNS server is at this IP address, that gets the, the packet to the machine, then you're saying, within this server, because the server could have, you know, it could have a web server, it could have a mail server, it could have uh, many other types of there again I, I broke my own rule of saying server when I meant service it could have a, a web service it could have a email service it could have DNS service any kind of service processes that are there to answer queries or provide data or, or whatever the specific service does the the designation of port when it's received by the computer just specifies which service in the machine to give that to sort of hand that packet over to for further processing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um, that's UDP which is is a is a very simple protocol there's no real notion of a of a connection in the sense there is with TCP which I'm which we'll talk about right now it's just the the idea of sending data from point to point and in fact it's the simplicity of UDP that that gives it its value. DNS is is carried by default over UDP because there's no overhead associated with setting up a, a, a UDP connection. Literally, I send one packet to my DNS server asking for the IP address of Microsoft.com. It sends one packet back to me saying, here it is. So the, again, these genius designers of, of the internet recognized that there were many protocols or, or ma many applications that had no need for anything more fancy. If if I send my packet toward the DNS server IP, and for example, it got lost along the way, or if the response got lost on its way back to me, I wouldn't get an answer to my to my query. So my and waits a few seconds for a response. If it doesn't get it, it sends it again. It waits a few more seconds. If it doesn't get it, it sends it again. It'll, it'll, it's responsible for retrying until it gets a response, or if it never gets one, it'll return an error to, to me or the application saying, uh, we couldn't get any answer from your DNS server. Something's broke somewhere. 
So that's a, a good protocol to use where you can't afford to drop any packets. Well, actually, that's a protocol to use where you're responsible for packets being dropped um, rather than the protocol itself being responsible, which is a perfect segue into TCP. Okay. Um, but so UDP for- does have kind of a response, but it's... but it. So I always well, thought UDP just didn't have any response at all. Well, it doesn't. Um, the, the protocol, and I, I'm glad you asked the question because I don't want to confuse people, UDP itself doesn't. It's the application uh. using UDP that, that, that would then be responsible. And, for example, that's why VOIP, voice over IP, like what you and I are using right now, mm-hmm. that's being carried by UDP because it's a lightweight protocol. It, it always sends the data that it's got right then. TCP, by comparison, is a much heavier weight um, protocol that's responsible for doing all kinds of extra work. For so with exa- Skype, it's, it's Skype's responsibility to say, oops, didn't get that packet. Could you resend it? Or maybe what or Skype maybe probably does is just ignore it. Right. I if, don't if care. You, if you don't get it. See, right. Skype is more concerned because we're, we're, we're doing voice over the Internet. It's Skype is more con- exactly is more yeah. concerned with real time. You know, so there's a little bit of an irk, you know, in, in the communication. It just figures, hey, these guys are talking. Who cares if they hear a little blurch? We just got to keep all this traffic moving between just, our endpoints. You just got to keep up. That's your only right. job, right? And, yeah. and so, what TCP does by by comparison is, and we'll sort of back our way into this, is it it does a number of things. If you send lots of small packets, TCP says, "Whoa, wait a minute! There, there's a lot of overhead." Per packet. Remember that we talked about that. There's an IP header, and there's there's source destination. There there's TTL. There's source port, destination port. There's a bunch of stuff that is is overhead beyond just the actual data payload. So TCP does something where it coalesces packets into a larger packet, as it, it's so that if you were trying to send a bunch of small TCP packets out of your computer, the lower networking layers would say. No, no, no. Let's merge these together. But what that does is that delays the first packet until there, there's been some period of time you haven't sent one or until you've got enough saved up that it's worth emitting a, a larger, a single larger packet from the system. So, so it's concerned with overall network efficiency, not so much real time. Correct. So that's so one of the things that happens immediately with TCP is you lose your 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 real time you know send what I've got right now and let's not worry about anything else. That made sense when network resources were scarce. You you didn't want to waste bandwidth. Correct. It was yeah. certainly more important there. The other thing that TCP does is it is a an error an error tolerant and sort of error recovery error correcting protocol. That is. The receiving end maintains, well, actually, both receiving and sending ends maintain a count of the bytes. When, when a TCP connection is established, um, the, the establisher sends a, a so-called SYN, an SYN packet. And we've talked about SYN floods and, you know, zombies use SYN floods to, to attack servers. Um, a SYN packet is sent. What the, what the SYN packet contains, this is a TCP protocol SYN packet, it contains a 32-bit number from the 
connection originator saying hi there to the to the server i want to establish a connection and i'm going to number all the bytes that i'm now going to be sending to you starting with this number with this hmm. serial number mm-hmm. the the server sends its response which is called a syn ack the that's literally an ack which is acknowledging the receipt of the of the original syn packet and its own syn component which says fine let's set up a communication i'm going to be numbering my bytes all the bytes i send to you with this serial number so both endpoints establishing um um establish a a serial number for their future dialogue and upon receiving that syn ack the connection originator sends a final ack to acknowledge the receipt of the server's syn ack so so this is called i know it's it's complicated it's called a three-way handshake a tcp three-way handshake and it does a couple important things not only does it allow each endpoint to sort of start a a serialization of all the data that, that follows but it also verifies that a round trip for each endpoint is possible one of the one of the weird things about the internet as we saw in our last episode where you've got all the this sort of this large conglomeration of routers and all they know is when a packet comes in they send it off towards its destination well it's not necessarily the case that that a packet going from point a to point b will flow backwards from point b to point a that is the that that responding packets will take the same path nothing hmm. says they have to right they're it just might, another kind of packet traffic yeah right? well yeah. It, it might be for example that a certain link between routers is high speed in one direction uh-huh, and uh-huh. low speed in the other right. so so that so that if, if the routers had figured that out, they might choose not to route over a lower speed direction, but route in a different direction that would get the packet to its destination sooner. So, so the point is that, that you, you don't know necessarily that the fact that you can get your traffic to a destination necessarily means you're able to get it back from the destination. So the the TCP three-way handshake, because the first guy sends a packet to the second guy, who sends a packet back to the first guy, who sends his final packet back to the second guy, (laughs) that three-way handshake verifies to each endpoint that one way or another they can exchange data. Hmm. So... So here's an example of why the designers thought, well, what if we don't want to go through all that? Well, that's what the UDP protocol is for, because there's none of that nonsense with UDP. With UDP, it's like, here's my query, here's your answer. Just two packets, for example. Instead of this whole connection initiation setup process that TCP has. It's really kind of surprising that so few things use UDP. It seems like UDP is a good idea. Yes, it's a great idea. But um, almost everything uses TCP. Well, and the reason is, uh, it's a, God, you ask great questions, Leo. The reason is so much work is done for programmers. All you have uh. to do as a programmer is say, I want a connection with the server. Then down in the, in the networking 
underbelly of the computer, all of this sin, sin act stuff, and the serialization of and all of that is done completely transparent to the programmer. Uh, all, all so we the, have lazy programmers to blame. I didn't want to use the L word. <laughs> You're a programmer. And I use actually UDP wherever I can uh, because it is so efficient. I have a system that I wrote that allows me to monitor my network the, the complete health of my network that it's remotely located at level three, and I built my own UDP client server mm. system. Yes, it would have been easier if, if I'd used TCP, but I didn't need TCP because I could just send a query every couple seconds and ask for an update from the server. So for many things, it's really more efficient. Do you, is there any quantification of how much more efficient? Are we talking 5%, 10%? How much overhead is there? You in TCP? really, you you really couldn't you could couldn't estimate because, for example, there is a burden on the UDP system to like retransmit if it needs right. to, right. Um, and for example, a a long lived connection won't see much overhead. That is, sure, you you need to establish a connection with TCP, and so you send a couple of very small packets back and forth. Once that's done, though, then there really isn't much more. There's some per packet overhead, but not lots. So in, 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 our, in our TCP connection, we've got both endpoints that have that have given each other their serial numbers. Now they have a full duplex connection, meaning that either of them can send data to the other anytime they want. And the beauty from, from, the, from the, I'll say it, the lazy programmer standpoint, <laughs> is all you have to do is just give the operating system some stuff to send. It chops it up in packets, which, which by the way, UDP doesn't do um, for you. So you have to be concerned about the size of the packets you're sending over UDP, not with TCP. TCP chops it up in nice size packets that are optimally tuned for your network and, and ships them off. It also puts the serial number of the byte, which is the first byte of the packet, in that packet for you. Now what's cool is the receiver is keeping track of this. It knows from the SYN packet that it received where the serial numbering is supposed to start. As the packets come in, it makes sure that they come in in sequence. Because one of the other weird things that can happen in this loosey-goosey router internet is there's no guarantee that packets are not going to arrive out of order. If you're sending a bunch of packets towards a destination, they could, you know, routers have the option of like of getting overloaded and, for example, send or a link between routers might get overloaded so that a different link would get used. Well, that might be a faster link. So packets sent later could arrive sooner. <laughs> at the receiving end. <laughs> well, sent later could arrive sooner. Right, and, right, right. and and UDP won't detect that for you. The TCP protocol does. Right. All hidden transparently down in the network. The, the, the receiving end is keeping track of serial numbers. If it receives a packet that is that is not sequentially next after the after the prior one it received, it'll hold on to it and wait for uh, the like the missing packets to get filled in. The the program 
that's running at that end receiving data doesn't see any of this. It, it, if it were caring, it would notice that it hadn't seen anything for a while. It might sense a delay, but TCP itself, the protocol, is doing all this for the programmer. And it's acknowledging to the sender the the like how far along I've received your data so far. What that means is if a packet got lost along the way, after waiting like enough, and there's all kinds of very complex adaptive algorithms for how long it ought to be waiting, it will it will be acknowledging the data that it's received. If the if the sender doesn't get acknowledgement of the stuff it's been sending, it will re automatically resend it. So even the sender is like holding on to data that it has sent to, until it's been acknowledged as received by the receiving end. I mean, it's just phenomenal how well this system works. And again, this was designed in the early days of the Internet um, as part of the fundamental plumbing that we can all now just take for granted. And, and perhaps over-designed in, in light of today's Internet, or no? No, I don't think so. It, it, there have been... There have been Especially with TCP, there has been some evolution of the protocol. For example, um, no one expected that the Internet would be as big as it became. Well, bigness equates to delays. So, for example, TCP didn't used to be patient enough. Uh-huh, and so right. it's it's had to be made to be more patient. The other thing is that that these links are also very high speed, meaning that a huge amount of data can be sent in a blob to the to the receiver. TCP also in the beginning didn't wasn't originally designed to allow so much outstanding data not to be acknowledged. Remember we were saying that the receiver is acknowledging the data that it receives as as it gets it back. So as link speeds have gone up, TCP has had to evolve again, sort of to, to become more adaptive to figure out, wow, um, I can allow much larger chunks of data to, to be unacknowledged by the receiver just because I'm, I'm sending it at such a fast rate that the, the delay across the Internet lets me have a whole bunch of data in transit. Right. So I mean it, it's it's really it's been it's been further developed over time, but the fundamental concepts of that were laid down from the beginning um, have really um, stood this t- the the test of time beautifully. It's a remarkable system. So that's UDP and TCP, and I think that really gives us a a strong with this episode and last we have a strong understanding now of what IP addresses are, what ICMP with like ping and trace route mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. that's used, and then our, our two real workhorse protocols, UDP for just sort of like quick, short messages, and, um, and, and TCP, which really takes advantage of major networking technology, the, the, the so-called TCP slash IP stack, as it's called, a stack because it, it, it's a, it can be viewed as a layer of protocols, this, this TCP work does just an incredible job for the, 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 the programmers so they don't have to worry about packets being lost, about, about packets arriving out of order. They, they set up a, a connection, and then the operating systems at each end deal with 
all of the internet dynamics so that they they know they're going to send data and it's going to be received reliably even if things arrive out of order or are lost in transit it's just a beautiful system tcp ip is is what is it well, the, the, the acronym, of course, is uh, Transmission Control Protocol slash Internet Protocol. How, how does that relate to TCP? Well, it, it, it's sort of the same thing. It, it's TCP is carried over the IP protocol or, or, or within an IP packet. So when we're talking about TCP. We're talking about TCP IP. Right. Really? Same right. thing. Okay. Same thing. Good. Great, Steve. Once again, you've done it again, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Explain and, uh, it all in very clear uh, ways. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I'm glad to have this technology in place because um, we'll be able now to refer to these things a little more casually with with the, with the presumption that the people who have been following along and listening understand what we're talking about and have this background. Go back and listen at 25 and 26 if you don't. They're going to there's going to be <laughs> core episodes how the internet works. Great. Of course, more information about this and maybe even this time uh, some illustrations available at grc.com/securitynow.htm. Check the, the show notes. The show notes will be there. Uh, so will a 16 kilobit version for the bandwidth impaired. And of course, our transcripts that people yes. love to read. Thanks, Elaine. Especially I think for these two episodes. Yeah, this is one where you might you might well want the, the you might want to read along. Yep. <laughs> Follow along in the home version. Uh, we do thank our folks at uh, AOL Radio for providing us with the bandwidth and for broadcasting this show on their podcast channel at aolmusic.com. I'll be back for my cruise next week, and we will be back uh, next Thursday with yet another fabulous episode of Security Now. Oh, let's not forget, folks, uh, I want to give you a little plug, Steve. Spin right which is the, the ultimate in disk file and recovery uh, tools and a must-have for everybody. It should be in your toolkit. And, of course, makes it possible for Steve to do these because that's his day job. It pays the bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's my day job. And, you know, Although it, this it, has it, become it, your day job, actually. I j- know the truth. J- yep. Just to plant the idea in people's minds that, you know, if, if they end up with a problem, uh, Spinrite is probably the best thing ever written that uh, can recover from hard disk trouble. Yeah, if you've got hard drive troubles, Spinrite's the cure. All right, Steve, we'll see you next week. Always I'll bring you back a Huarachi or something. I just want to hear how the book went. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs>